Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. If you ever wondered how PhDs think about problems in our industry, this episode is for you. I'm excited to bring on my friends, Dr. Brad Lawrence with Novis and Dr. Joe Crenshaw with APC. We're going to talk about getting back to biology and thinking about our problems from different perspectives. So stay tuned. Well, good morning, Joe and Brad. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Doing well, thank you. Well, I'm excited to have two of my esteemed colleagues onto the Brill P3. And the topic we're going to talk about is getting back to biology. And the three of us at different time points, I'm not sure if we've ever powwowed together about different problems. We have similar passions. And if the audience didn't know, Brad was working for Hubbard at the time and helped sponsor and was on a lot of my work for my master's degree. So Brad and I have worked together in the past, and he influenced my career a lot. And then on the other side, Joe and his work at APC has really inspired me as well in some work throughout my career. So it's an honor to have both of you here. So welcome to the Real P3. Thank you, Kate. And so the conversation came up, and it's really Joe's baby here about we need to get back to biology or that that comment. And I think Brad it resonated with you as well on that. Um, And we were talking about cell prolapses. And in my career, everybody seems to knock really small university-led research and doesn't hold a lot of value into it when we take it to production. And why do you think that's maybe a mistake or kind of let's open it up and see where the conversation goes in your mind of what we're doing wrong with research today? I'll kind of uh, bring out a few things, I think, Casey. Uh, you know, uh, we're in a different generation, I think, than maybe Brad and I grew up in, and, and even you, Casey, uh, even though you're a little bit younger than we are, quite a bit younger, but the movement has been to, you know, in the basic sciences is to go through the biotech side of, you know, looking at markers, cell culture, things like that, which which are important tools, and don't get me wrong on that, but I think uh, sometimes we've gotten away from trying to look at little specific pieces of the puzzle, you know, uh, in, say, a cell culture type approach, and we're forgetting about how that interacts with the whole body system, and there I'm talking about the whole animal and also the basic metabolism, the basic endocrine system, digestive system, respiratory system, reproductive system, and how they all interact and communicate with each other. And I think sometimes as we change, you know, the more modern, highly prolific styles, for example, uh, we've got a little different animal today, I think, than we did 20 years ago, for sure. And you know, we have sows producing very large litter sizes and, you know, and then we've also seen an increase in overall sow mortality, particularly here in the States. And I think what we're kind of missing is really understanding are those uh, 
physiological processes changed somewhat compared to what they were, you know, 20 years ago. And, and for example, uh, I think if you look at average gestation, it's actually gone up a couple of days compared to what more it than was a couple days. Yeah, <laughs> at least a couple of days, you know, and, you know, and that sow's got, you know, heavier total litter weight to handle. And, and we've got to go back, I think, and look at some basic physiology of what's going on in these sows and how does that impact, uh, you know, that uh, whole, uh, not only uh, reproductive efficiency and, you know, uh, subsequent reproduction and those kind of things, but also the endocrine system, the are those uh, changes uh, different today than they were, you know, 20 years ago? Also, how that affects uh, the total volume of blood and uh, blood constituents and, you know, components in the, uh, in the blood circulating through the di- different uh, body systems. There was some past research uh, back in the 90s out of Canada that they were looking at uh, serum volume and uh, hematocrit changes in sows from early gestation through late gestation into early lactation. And there was a big shift in uh, total serum volume as you got closer to parturition, uh, as well as a reduction in, say, hematocrit. So if we start thinking now about this more modern sow, is that even a bigger change going on there or not. Uh, I don't think these kinds have been measured, you know, in, in over 20 years. And then how does that interact then with the uh, uh, blood flow going throughout the whole vascular system? I mean, you shift, I think the, the cell shifts a lot of the, uh, what I would call the immune system responders or, or bioactive functional proteins, say, in the blood from, uh, you know, supporting the sow and going back to supporting that litter in late gestation. And how does that uh, affect what goes not only to the, the support and the, the maintenance of the sow, but also uh, is it taken away from some of the immune development uh, our immunity of the cell through their digestive system. You know, we think about the the digestive system as, you know, a source of nutrient uptake and that kind of thing, but it's also the intestinal system is also the largest immune organ in the body. And there's a lot of just question marks I got out there, I guess, about has that changed in these cells? Are we uh, start to, we need to go back and really think about how the physiology is how it's apparently changed somewhat as we've gone to a lot larger litter size, uh, uh, you know, and we're starting to see more, uh, not only higher mortality, but more pelvic organ prolapses and things like that. So, so I really think uh, I kind of challenge us all to stop and think about, do we need to go back and do some very basic work to uh, really understand how changes in blood flow, volume, hematocrit, those kind of things are affecting or maybe potentially contributing to some of the uh, mortality issues that we're having out in the South today.
Well, I probably said a lot more than <laughs> give Brad a chance to chime no, in. I, I was going to say, Brad's got a little different spin, but I think we're all yeah. speaking the same language. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Joe covered a lot of the thoughts that, that I've had from, you know, the standpoint of needing to get back to the physiology. And, you know, your question was, to an extent, why do we not put as much value in smaller scale uh, research trials, university trials. And I'm, I'm going to take a little different, uh, a little different spin at that. And that is we tend to be very product focused, you know, go to animal science meetings, for example, and much to my chagrin, often it's not much science. It's more product A worked really well for whatever and what we need to be understanding is uh, very much what you said. We've got some problems in the industry. What is the physiology that's leading to those problems? And then what approaches can we take to address uh, those changes in physiology? And those things ultimately will lead back to the right product or products uh, that will address it. And, and notice I use the term products. Too often, we get very myopic in our research approach and we say, okay, we want to look at product X and see what its impact is, when in reality, there's no one, we all know this, there's no one silver bullet out there. You know, let's, let's take, uh, let's shift a minute instead of talking about mortality and prolapses, let's think about uh, reducing need for antibiotics. That's not a single product that's going to help us achieve optimal reduction in antibiotic use or antibiotic elimination. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of approaches uh, that even go back possibly to the sow. So I think that's, that's another component of this is that to a degree, we need to get away from that thought process of product A versus product B and and get to what is the nutrient change or what is the physiological change that needs to occur that's then going to let us achieve the objective that we're trying to achieve, whether that's uh, another one that's a passion of mine is we're 20, what, 25 years plus into managing PERS in the pork industry. And yes, there's some vaccine strategies that work better than others, but we just came out of a, a really bad year with respect to, to PERS in the industry. What are we doing about it? What are we doing to understand the physiology of why that continues to be an industry issue? Get beyond just the virus. Let's look at the animal and what can we be doing to support that animal? You know, to me, there's a lot of different industry issues we have right now that we need to be stepping back and taking a, a holistic approach. You bring up the government and everybody kind of cringes, me included, but I was reading a, a book last night called Undaunted. It's by John Brennan. And it, it struck me that the one thing our government does do well is when they form a commission around a topic, that it is very multidisciplinary. And maybe we need to be thinking about that more and more as an industry of looking very broadly at the challenge we have and say, okay, who are all of the stakeholders? Um, and I'm going to give a prolapse when I just saw this yesterday. 
uh, Janelle Dunkelberger with Topics had a little, there was a short blurb, I think, Casey, you saw it, or maybe it was on your site about finding heritability associated with prolapses. Okay, so now that tells us to a degree there's a genetic component. As Dr. Crenshaw pointed out, beginning about 2013, 2014, we had a dramatic increase in pigs per litter, and that has continued to increase. Some of the data uh, would indicate that even in some genetic lines, those pigs are actually getting heavier. So the, the total weight is now amplified. So we've got an engineering problem. I was going to so say, gotta, I give a good example. PIC sow had 16 pigs at three and a half pounds average weight. Okay. So now think about that from an engineering standpoint of how much additional weight that is on the connective tissue that's supposed to be holding things in place. But we haven't changed the, we did, first of all, we don't understand the nutrient requirements for that. And we don't understand physiologically what that increased, that increased weight has done to the demands of that animal. You know, I think about this from a nutritional standpoint and in talking about being myopic, what do we focus on from measuring nutrient requirements? We focus on an output. We focus on litter size. We focus on her weaned estrus interval, you know, pigs born, et cetera. But is the nutrient requirement very different for maintaining her engineering needs? As a, as a female. So those are kind of some of the thoughts that I have had of just thinking about these industry issues that we have and thinking about them dis- differently. And, you know, we need to bring the nutritionists and geneticists and veterinarian and reproductive physiologists and, and all of the other stakeholders together to try to address some of these issues, I think. Well, hopefully that's what I'm hopefully leading for at least the U.S. standpoint of getting that collaboration together. We started calling it the Southwest Swine Nutrition Group, and we have evolved it to take the nutrition out to realize we need a lot of help to solve. And the group wants to focus on sound mortality and prolapses today. My biggest frustration in 2018, and we caught up after my presentation at Midwest Swine Nutrition meeting, is I went into that problem and I did exactly what you you spoke of. I looked at the engineering and okay, it's collagen and what's, how is collagen different than lean mass tissue? We talk about SID lysine and grams per day of how much lean tissue we need to put in. Well, that's totally different for collagen formation and ligament support. And I I presented that, got the information out. And then of course the pork board put that big grant out and, you know, and I appreciate all the work they've done and they've learned a lot from it as well. But, you know, Dr. Ross, is, I've heard him say it a couple of times that we need to look in different fields for information. And back in 2018, I gave you a different field and a researcher out at Virginia Tech using the gilt as a model for humans with pelvic organ prolapses. And our pork board ignores people like that. And I see some of these other universities come at a different approach because they're not in the top pork production states. They don't get really looked at in these grants. and we don't even look at different strategies to solve problems, I think, is, is part of the problem. And then we go back to academic settings and to get a NIFA grant or a USDA grant today is ridiculously hard. And so some of these people who have different ideas, 
they can't get funding. And then looking at your companies, you got to sell products, Brad. I'm not going to give you money just to go do a cool project. <laughs> you know, you got to justify what my ROI is going to be on giving me $100,000 to run a sow trial. So, you know, it is a problem. And you go back even in my career, Joe, you talked about the immune system. Well, my master's degree, right or wrong, I didn't get it into a journal article, but we showed that the immune, system, the immune cells change in colostrum and milk. We know they can be absorbed. They're influencing the pig once they're absorbed. But yet all the literature we talk about immunity, we talk about immunoglobulins. And we're just getting to the point that we're talking about monoclonal specific antibodies on our immunoglobulins. But yet all the data is, oh, my IgG went up or went down. And, you know, we don't, as you said, we're not diving in to put all the pieces together in our research. Yeah, but there are some, uh, I was actually heartened at a uh, recent event I was at where there was a department head of a university, and I don't know that I want to name names at the moment, just because I'm not, I'm not sure what his position is on, on how publicly he wants to disclose his thought process. But I was heartened by his approach in that he publicly stated to the group that was there that they want to become more problem focused based on what's important to the different segments of the industry, dairy industry, pork industry, poultry industry, et cetera. And that he doesn't want silos of, well, I'm a swine nutritionist. Therefore, the only kind of research I'm going to get involved in is pig nutrition research. His approach is Let's identify the industry issue. And let's just for the sake of argument here, um, let's just say it's milk production, optimizing optimizing immediate postpartum milk production. Let's just take that as a, a theoretical example. His approach is I want my research team multidisciplinary looking at this. And you know what? If we need to go external outside our department to bring somebody in to also help us get this, problem solved, then I want to do that. His, his comment was kind of interesting. He said, either I'm going to achieve it or I won't be department head very long. <laughs> so it's kind, of, it's kind of a funny comment, but that's kind of the thought process that, uh, that we all need to be thinking about is, you know, what is the industry issue? And I, when I'm talking with, with different people, I say, you know, let's throw this thing up on a whiteboard. You know, let's put the problem at the top and our desired outcome at the bottom. Let's list all of our stakeholders, if you will, who can influence this issue or help us get at the root of that. And the Prolapse uh, Project, to a degree, has done that. They've you know, that's a pretty broad group. You know, are there some things that are still missing? Well, probably, but it's always a thing of time and money um, at getting it an issue. And I think that's. That's probably a frustration for all of us is the time and money part of addressing something. And we all know what the cost of doing research has become, uh, at least here in the U.S. And it is definitely an economic resource drain, if you will, and and tough to do everything you want to do in a very cost-effective manner. I'm learning that exactly. You know, industry is already lean and I'm trying to tackle this problem and we're all volunteering our time. And uh, that doesn't get things done very fast when we have full-time jobs. Well, that's probably the other part of it is speed. Speed and and, uh, amount of information today. There is a limited amount of research capability in the U.S., 
there are a lot of competitions for that research space. I, I recently was trying to get some projects done and I had several entities tell me they were July, August, September of 2022 before they could even think about doing a project. When we talk about SAL research, anybody want to try to get a grad student to hang around for three or four years to do a good, high-quality, high-volume uh, SAL project? Uh, not many grad students want to hang around that long to work on one degree program. So, yeah, time, time and money is always uh, an issue. As from 2022, Pick Progress is proud to be teaming up with The Real P3 Podcast. Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pick Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive Pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media, and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite Pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter to www.pigprogress.net. Joe, what's your thoughts on how we tackle this from somebody who's worked in academia, who's worked in the industry? I think it comes down to developing the right kind of mindset to say we're going to, if we're going to fix a problem, we got to go back and understand what's causing the problem. And, and it takes a collaborative effort to do that. And I think it takes the administration that different universities and are within private industry as well to agree that, well, we've got a problem here. We want to try to fix it. How we're going to go about doing this? And uh, it takes commitment and a commitment to say, how are we really going to make progress on this issue? And I think there's, you know, uh, uh, like Brad mentioned, you know, you got to put together all the stakeholders as well. You also got to have uh, someone lead the charge on it and champion the thing. And it, it takes, uh, you know, industry, probably uh, collaborated group to uh, say, you know, we're going to work on this, we're going to work on this, uh, you know, diligently. And, and then you get into all the complications of, well, if you discover something and somebody wants to patent something off of it, you know, who owns the intellectual property, all that kind of stuff that sometimes gets in the way, I think, of progress sometimes on uh, figuring out how to solve a problem. It, it's really uh, getting people to step up and say, we're going to take this through and follow this through. And I think it's a lot of people like yourself, Casey, trying to trying to pull together the right kind of group to uh, to tackle this problem. And you know, and then how do you sell that to get funded for it? That's the biggest <laughs> question. You know, and uh, and that comes back to the leadership in administration, industry or academia to figure out a way to how, how do we work together on this. Casey, this is not a new conundrum, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Joe and yeah. I probably had conversations very similar to this more than 20 years ago. And we end up having industry issues that end up being very segmented in how they're addressed. And so we get a little piece over here and a little piece over there. And we make very slow progress. And it's a it's at a detriment to our our industry, I think. And so it it takes 
people with vision and I'm going to uh, give Jason Ross, you know, kudos for leading the, the mm-hmm. project around the pelvic organ prolapse. It takes people pulling together those consortiums and getting the stakeholders again, like I talked about earlier, bringing all the stakeholders together to address an issue. And then also how do we, how do we pool resources? Um, neither Joe's company nor mine have the financial wherewithal, if you will, to go address an issue on our own. And it would be somewhat foolhardy to do so because again, we don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle. We know the pig does not operate in a vacuum. Uh, One of my favorite uh, comments from one of my nutrition professors a long time ago was pigs don't have a requirement for ingredients. They have a requirement for nutrients. And so we have to think very holistically about these different problems that the industry has. And we have to think about them in the context of from a nutritional standpoint, what is changing? What are, how could the needs be changing and how are all the different nutrients interrelated in the metabolic pathways? I absolutely hated biochemistry when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. I can tell you some stories about biochem. <laughs> Dr. John Patterson at Purdue University was a tremendous microbiologist and, and on the ruminant nutrition side. And this young grad student didn't pay near enough attention to him when I was in his class. And so as a result, I don't have some of the microbiology background that I really wish that I had that I had paid a bit more attention, but all those things were in context of being able to apply them. I didn't have the contextualization of how those things were going to be relevant to me now, 20 plus years into my career. But those are the things that we need to be thinking about is how are the nutrients changing? How are the microflora changing? How are those microflora interacting with signals being sent to the brain, to the gut, et cetera, that they're then regulating maybe even how some of those nutrients are are taken up. Um, So how do we get at this issue? It takes a visionary, you know, kind of like you've talked about of what's the issue? Who all can I bring together to help me address this issue? We have to be cognizant of competition issues. And when you bring those people together, And then we have to be patient to let thoughts digest. Uh, We can't rush into a thought process of here's a shiny thing. Let's go out and explore the shiny thing. We need to really think critically, which is the skills we all hopefully learned in grad school to start with was how to think critically. And then we we pull a plan together that is a long-term approach um, because we're not going to get answers overnight. And so I think it, it's those, it's those concepts that we have to, again, step back and not be, uh, we have to be more, utilize those PhDs. I like to tell people I have a doctorate in philosophy, not a doctorate in science. <laughs> so we have to be somewhat philosophical using what we know today and hypothesizing a bit about what might be, and then forming that plan for hopefully what will lead us to good answers and ultimately resolving some of these things that we talk about year in and year out. I could have said it better. And I do appreciate Jason Ross and that group, the amount of information, the data they put out, the resources is is an incredible job. I mean, they delivered. And I, 
think they did it very leanly with uh, the amount of resources given and what they accomplished in two or three years. But, you know, I, I still lead the charge. I can tell you it's exhausting. And I'm going to tell you as a, a technician or a manager trainee in Albin, Wyoming, working for New Fashion Pork 20 some years ago, this is why this problem is near and dear to me because the problem we had at the time with the gilts is they would splay and the only option for them at, as we brought them into farrowing is we would euthanize them and take their litter and hopefully the litter would survive on another sow. And, you know, mortality was still high there. And when you drag out enough dead sows, as I did, my size, it, it's not a fun job, it, it, you know, and that really hit me. It really left an imprint on me as a manager of what can I do to make it better. And, you know, working in the system, I knew I had to go back to grad school. So it was very pivotal knowing that this is a problem we have and how can I help solve this problem? And I've been pushing sow research and, you know, it's taken me a long time and I haven't had a lot of resources, but, you know, 20 years later, our problem hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. And so, you know, I think finally our industry is at a pivotal time point that we are willing to break down silos. We're willing to be collaborative. And I use the, you know, the survivability group as an example, collaboration there, um, tackling that for sure is a great sign that we're there. Um, I see some other collaborations going in conversations. The people who show up to my group meeting, the companies that are involved are, you know, they may not have a lot of time, but willing to to dive into that. And so kind of excited about that. What do you think, because um, I do have a lot of students that, that follow me and listen as well, or other young people out there in the industry, what is some advice from you guys for them to help lead the charge and be part of the solution? Be inquisitive. Don't accept traditional dogma. And I'm going to put that in, in context on the be inquisitive side. We're going to relate it back to this issue of sound mortality, sound prolapses, et cetera. When we look at sound mortality, the biggest majority of sound mortality is unknowns or found deads. Okay, why? Why did she die? Put on your forensic hat, become a pathologist uh, in your thought process, uh, become a med medical examiner, if you will. And, and to a degree, the veterinary community does that. But we need to understand, I think, why ultimately, physiologically, why does a sow die when she's a sudden death or an unknown? I think if we unlock that mystery, I think that will give us insights into some of the other issues that we also have. I would agree. So just breaking down that dogma was it took me nearly dying in my pregnancy to change my mindset of how I thought about the problem. And that's where I went to the medical field and looked at that. Talking to the doctors, I had 70 days in there with neonatologists like talking to them about different things. And my mindset totally shifted by having a different perspective. And you're right. If I was that Sal, I would have been that sudden death statistic. Didn't know why she died. She just died. Yep. And so don't, don't accept things as they are today. 
you know, I, I had a conversation recently with somebody and they were talking about an issue that they had and, and uh, they were talking about, well, we've just kind of thrown our hands up in the air and it's just what we live with. <laughs> okay. If you're a new student coming along, don't accept that. Don't accept that things have to be the way they are today. And I'll, I'll tell a story here of uh, Jim Hedges. Dr. Hedges was my boss for a while and he came in the industry very, you know, at a, at a great time. And I said, Doc, and I don't know if he remembers this conversation or not. I said, Doc, I said, you know, you went from formulating with crude protein to total amino acids to available amino acids to available amino acids to, to net energy. And it just kind of went on with this litany. And I said, what is there left for me? You know, what is there left for me to, to learn and to, to know? And um, I'm 20 plus, I'm 20, I got to think about this, I'm 25 years into my career now. And what, Joe, about every two or three years, we run into something, <laughs> something new <laughs> that is, that yeah, is right, for right. us. And so, so I no longer think that way of what's left for us, because I think with an inquisitive mind throughout your career, don't accept the dogmas that currently exist, challenge them with good thought process and don't accept what exists today as having to be the way it's always going to be. I think a, a new grad student is going to have a great career and a very enjoyable, uh, fulfilling career. Joe, your standpoint? I agree, you know, very much with you, Brad, on that. Uh, I give an example uh, when I... Uh, come back from living overseas for three years in an underdeveloped country. I had the opportunity to spend uh, a few months at Wisconsin with uh, uh, Northern Benavinga. And, uh, you know, Dr. Benavinga, of course, you know, the famous biochemist and expert on methionine and things like that. But uh, he really had a, a very good way of, Stimulating the thought process in people. <laughs> and, and one 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 day it was just, you know, we were just chatting a little bit, uh, was talking with uh, Dr. Benavinga, and uh, he said, you know, Joe, you ever think about why your little fingers only grow so far and your other fingers grow a little bit longer? He says, how does the body know how to shape that? How does that little finger know to only grow so long versus the other finger? You know, and I said, I have no clue. <laughs> you know, he said, but think about that. You know, uh, you know, uh, you, you put stuff uh, and cell culture, and it, you know, you can grow bone cells. Uh, but what? How does it decide how long that finger is going to be? You know, and so. There's so much more we've got to learn about basic physiology of what's going on. Uh, and maybe some people have answered that question today, but, uh, you know, I think we're just on the, really on the tip of the iceberg of understanding the nutrient needs for, for sows, particularly around that peripartum period, uh, you know, and some of the things I was trying to bring out was, you know, uh, the blood blood volume changes in the matter crit, how's that affecting the other organs in the body? 
of our urban system. How is that, you know, how is that designed? You know, how do we uh, really understand what's going on uh, and how nutrients are partitioned, you know, as that shifts? You know, and even after the sow gives birth, then you got the postpartum recovery period and, uh, you know, and how does that interact with subsequent reproduction, et cetera? You know, uh, and how does that all tie into sow mortality, uh, pelvic organ prolapse, things like that, lameness, development? Do we understand, is that high stress, I call it a very high stress period, uh, you know, no, Casey, you're well aware of that, uh, you know, uh, as a mother, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in that that uh, time period of the animal that's uh, uh, just super complex. And there's so much more to learn about what's going on there. And it's getting back to deciding are we going to spend the time and effort to really understand what needs fixing. So we can fix it, <laughs> you know, if we can fix it. And if we don't understand exactly, you know, what's going on there in terms of how it's affecting nutrient uptake or nutrient utilization, you know, it's not going to be one silver bullet, certainly like Brad uh, brought out earlier. It, it's a it's a package of, of things that could be some potential solutions, but it's going to take some very basic physiology, I think, uh, uh, understanding of what's different in that cell today than it was 20 years ago. Uh, oh, I agree. And I had the blessing. And the same thing about yeah. other, other issues. Yeah. As I say, I had the blessing of reteaching biology and the book has gotten a lot thicker in uh, mm-hmm. since I took <laughs> biology. But some yeah. of the things that my students, I learned just as much as I hopefully gave my students. That's my goal in everything I do is to learn and just as, you know, continue learner. But they made a couple comments, like a lot of the materials are redundant. And I said, well, that's a good thing. Some of the information and genetics and how it crosses over in the ecosystems and ecology and things like that and behavior. And then, you know, at the end, they said it's a very complex and they didn't realize how, you know, biology and biology is a core study of life how complex it was. And so we just have to keep that in mind. And, you know, and I think we, we get into, I remember Brad James, he, he used this analogy. He said like veterinarians, they skim the surface of everything. This is how he compared veterinarians and, and nutritionists that they skim the surface. They have to know a lot of information on everything, but nutritionists, we get to dive deep and, and dig. And we know a lot about one thing and, and then I'm I'm wondering if, you know, for the future is that's good that we know nutrition, but I would say even nutritionists, they dive deep and they're maybe really good at amino acids, but, and I, I'm not going to name any names, but, you know, they could tell me exactly how much lysine I am to do the calculator and, and uh, you know, and I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on making sure I get the right feed to the right pigs, but, um, you know, they can't, they don't know how to feed towards the immune system for instance. And so that, that stuff intrigues me more, right? How can I manipulate the system to do good and optimize the entire system than just lean tissue growth? And I think, you know, going forward, we need to learn how to dive deep or dig deeper into different areas that aren't our core training. And, but I think the key is critical thinking 
as you both mentioned, to challenge what we know and dive deeper where we don't have enough information. Well, the other thing is to get outside of the production livestock literature. I spend as much, if not more, time in the human literature than I do in the livestock associated literature. You want to know where the cool stuff's going on and where the bank of knowledge exists. A lot of it is in the human side. There's, you know, volumes of texts on different subjects that are at that very basic physiology level. And I've, I've gotten some insights that I've been able to help some, some people with, uh, with some specific problems, not because of any research that was done in the livestock species, but because of things that were done with, uh, in one case, with high-performance athletes. There was some information that was relevant to a production issue that we faced that, that I just discovered reading some literature. Uh, I kind of missed interaction with uh, Dean Boyd on a routine basis because when Dean was at PIC and then at Hanor, Dean always had a good book reference <laughs> for me. And uh, usually that that was not something in the uh, production livestock area. It was more human nutrition or biochemistry or something like that. And so that's the other uh, advice I would have for uh, the young nutritionist and, and grad students kind of continue to be a voracious reader but don't limit yourself just to things that are going going on in the pig world. Second piece of advice, and uh, Joe brought up Dr. Benavenga, animal science meetings used to be much more lively uh, when Dr. Benavenga was alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, today, a lot of times we, we go to the meetings and there's a 15-minute presentation and maybe a, a bit of a, a question or so, but... Uh, as a grad student, I can vividly remember every time I got up and, and gave a presentation and then Dr. Benavenga would rise to ask a question. <laughs> and I knew it was going to be a bit challenging and a bit thought provoking. And I think we still miss that today. Of, I, I would encourage a grad student to find their own Dr. Benavenga who right. will challenge their thought process and not just pat them on the back and tell them what a great job they did at the presentation or whatever, but really challenge them to think about the issues that they're, that they're researching. It was terrifying at the time, but uh, now it, uh, I, I kind of miss it and what it led to for thought-provoking discussions. Well, Dr. Lee Southern was that person for me. If I saw him in the room, usually in the first two or three rows, shaking literally <laughs> after giving a presentation to him that I had this stigma of going up at Midwest animal science meetings because of the questions. And if it wasn't for the Dean Boyd's or the Brad Lawrence's in the room to save me <laughs> on a few, a few occasions, you know, but I think that's a disservice we're doing. We're so focused. Oh, it's on the phone. Where do I have to get next? I think we need to Everyone sitting in those rooms needs to come in there with a set of questions to help not only students, but help the science. And I've gotten to judge graduate students and undergrads. And the only thing we're preparing a lot of these students for is to present really well, you know, have a good presentation and that kind of stuff. But uh, very few of them can critically think about what they did or why they did it. And that is, I know for me, that is critical to my job is 
it's not just to go out and present to you as a customer, for example, but it's also to, it's to critically think internally as to how are we going to make progress in our different focus areas. And then a bit to think critically with you of, okay, you've got a problem. I have a piece of it. I have a piece of a solution. But what other things can I help you think about that you also need to be thinking of in addition to the piece of the puzzle that I have over here, that if I can find the other pieces, man, we can really find success. But my piece is in my puzzle and Joe's piece is in his puzzle. And unless we put our two puzzles together, we don't know what it is we're looking at. Great. So we are running out of time, but I usually give my audience the opportunity. You can either ask me a question you want to, or leave any last minute minute thoughts for the audience. I would just say for grad students, uh, I think uh, my advisor was Ernie Payol at Nebraska when I was in grad school. And Ernie always said, you know, you're going to have more time to think while you're a grad student than you ever will when you get out and get into your job and uh, career or whatever you're doing. And uh, even as a, even if you go into academia, you know, it's just uh, so much more stuff thrown at you. And I think uh, one of the things that I was in grad school with, with quite a few uh, people at that time that, you know, like Dean Boyd and Steve Pullman and my brother Tom and, uh, Ron Moser and Ron Nemo and uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, we were overlapped uh, for quite a few years here in Nebraska. And, and uh, we would have uh, sessions, you know, just brainstorming sessions. Uh, and I think that's uh, kind of a lost art. To, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, you know, it's a it's somewhat of a lost art today. Uh, we, we're so distracted with what's on the, the cell phone and what's the latest thing that we don't spend time reading, deeply reading and thinking through things. And for basic physiology, you got to have that, that time commitment to really dig into the literature, search things out and really think through things. And I think one of the things uh, that's been kind of good about the pandemic is maybe we've had a little more time to think about things, uh, or at least hopefully have a little more time to think about things a little deeper. And, and we really need to dig deep on things. I think we're missing, missing things if we don't do that. Great. Fred? And I would just uh, leave with a couple of thoughts here. And there's a couple of industry nutritionists that have really driven this uh, home to me. They work for some production companies. And their challenge is people wanting to come in and sell them something. And their desire is not to buy product. Their desire is to solve their production systems problems. And so when we're interacting with each other, set the sales side aside for a little bit. Let's talk about what the industry issues are. Let's talk about what it's going to take to address them, what it's going to take to understand them. We have a lot of these. Uh, Again, PERS is the number one industry issue and continues to be. We've got PDV out there. We've got uh, sow mortality. We've got this prolapse issue. Uh, We've got survivability generally as issues. 
let's spend time thinking about those and and what is going to lead to significant improvements in those areas and understand the physiology of what's happening, understand how nutrient requirements may be changing. The products will come. Product sales will come eventually. Um, and that, that's that been the message those people have carried forward to me. And it's really resonated of what the, the new industry is, is really looking like. And on the other side of that is for each of us, uh, be open to those interactions. Uh, be open to that. Uh, let's get back to some scientific dialogue a minute and not be constantly trying to sell something. But really at the heart of why we went to grad school anyway, if you ask most grad students what they thought they were going to be doing when they got out of grad school, it was research. And that was because of the scientific curiosity that I think inherent is inherent in each of us just from a personality standpoint. And if we uh, really focus on that and, and build those interactions, find those mentors, uh, Joe and I both have mentioned quite a few people that in some way have been mentors to us, and Casey, you did as well. Find those mentors, find those resources, and uh, just have those very thought-stimulating discussions. And you hear my uh, my colleague in the background giving his two cents worth <laughs> with a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, not only for being on the Real P3, but for both of you inspiring me through my career, helping me grow as a scientist and thought leader. I appreciate it and wish you all the best. Well, we appreciate you, Casey, for doing this and uh, you help stimulate our thinking too. Yep. Good. Yeah, absolutely. You're helping to stimulate some conversations <laughs> in the industry that are much needed. Thank you, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with my friends, Joe and Brad. It was exciting to have them on and talk together with both of them in one place. At least the perspectives didn't come just from my soapbox. So hopefully it inspired you to consider some different options in solving your problems within your systems. And as always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me. 